section six of the interpretation of dreams this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. the interpretation of dreams by sigmund freud translated by a a brill chapter 6 the psychological peculiarities of dreams in our scientific investigation of dreams we start with the assumption that dreams are a phenomenon of our own psychic activity yet the completed dream appears to us as something alien whose authorship we are little inclined to recognize that we should be just as willing to say a dream came to me as i dreamed whence this psychic strangeness of dreams according to our exposition of the sources of dreams we must assume that it is not determined by the material which finds its way into the dream content since this is for the most part common both to dream life and waking life we might ask ourselves whether this impression is not evoked by modifications of psychic process in dreams and we might even attempt to suggest that the existence of such changes is the psychological characteristic of dreams no one has more strongly emphasized the essential difference between dream life and waking life and drawn more far-reaching conclusions from this difference than g t h fechner in certain observations contained in his element de psychophysic he believed that neither the simple depression of conscious psychic life under the main threshold nor the distraction of the attention from the influences of the outer world suffices to explain the peculiarities of dream life as compared with the waking life he believes rather that the arena of dreams is other than the arena of the waking life of the mind if the arena of psychophysical activity were the same during the sleeping and the waking state the dream in my opinion would only be a continuation of the waking ideational life at a lower degree of intensity so that it would have to partake of the form and material of the latter but this is by no means the case what fechner really meant by such a transposition of the psychic activity has never been made clear nor has anybody else to my knowledge followed the path which he indicates in this remark an anatomical interpretation in the sense of physiological localization in the brain or even a histological stratification of the cerebral cortex must of course be excluded the idea might however prove ingenious and fruitful if it could refer to a psychical apparatus built up of a number of successive and connected systems other authors have been content to give prominence to this or that palpable psychological peculiarity of the dream life and even to take this as a starting point for more comprehensive attempts at explanation it has been justly remarked that one of the chief peculiarities of dream life 
makes its appearance even in the state of falling asleep and may be defined as the sleep heralding phenomenon according to schleiermacher the distinguishing characteristic of waking state is the fact that its psychic activity occurs in the form of ideas rather than in that of images but dream things mainly in visual images and it may be noted that with the approach of sleep the voluntary activities become impeded in proportion as involuntary representations make their appearance the latter belonging entirely to the category of images the incapacity for such ideational activities as we feel to be deliberately willed and the emergence of visual images which is regularly connected with this distraction these two are constant characteristic of dreams and on psychological analysis we are compelled to recognize them as essential characteristics of dream life as for the images themselves the hypnagogic hallucinations we have learned that even in their content they are identical with dream images dreams then think preponderantly but not exclusively in visual images they make use also of auditory images and to a lesser extent of the other sensory impressions moreover in dreams as in the waking state many things are simply thought and imagined probably with the help of remnants of verbal conceptions characteristic of dreams however are only those elements of their contents which behave like images that is which more closely resemble perceptions than mnemonic representations without entering upon a discussion of nature of hallucinations a discussion familiar to every psychiatrist we may say with every well-informed authority that the dream hallucinates that is that it replaces thoughts by hallucinations in this respect visual and acoustic impressions behave in the same way it has been observed that the recollection of a succession of notes heard as we are falling asleep becomes transformed when we have fallen asleep into a hallucination of the same melody to give place each time we wake to the fainter and qualitatively different representations of the memory and resuming each time we doze off again its hallucinatory character the transformation of an idea into a hallucination is not the only departure of the dream from the more or less corresponding waking thought from these images the dream creates a situation it represents something as actually present it dramatizes an idea as peta puts it but the peculiar character of this aspect of the dream life is completely intelligible only if we admit that in dreaming we do not as a rule the exceptions call for special examination suppose ourselves to be thinking but actually experiencing that is we accept the hallucinations in perfectly good faith the criticism that one has experienced nothing but that one has merely been thinking in a peculiar manner dreaming occurs to us only on waking it is this characteristic which distinguishes the genuine dream from the day dream which is never confused with reality
the characteristics of the dream life thus far considered have been summed up by Burdak as follows as characteristic features of the dream we may state a that the subjective activity of our psyche appears as objective inasmuch as our perceptive faculties apprehend the products of fantasy as though they were sensory activities b that sleep abrogates our voluntary action hence falling asleep involves a certain degree of passivity the images of sleep are conditioned by the relaxation of our powers of will it now remains to account for the credulity of the mind in respect to the dream hallucinations which are able to make their appearance only after the suspension of certain voluntary powers strumpel asserts that in this respect the psyche behaves correctly and in conformity with its mechanism the dream elements are by no means mere representations but true and actual experiences of the psyche similar to those which come to the waking state by the way of senses whereas in the waking state the mind thinks and imagines by means of verbal images and language in dream it thinks and imagines in actual perceptual images dreams moreover reveal a special consciousness inasmuch as in dreams just as in the waking state sensations and images are transposed into outer space it must therefore be admitted that in dreams the mind preserves the same attitude in respect of images and perceptions as in the waking state but if it forms erroneous conclusions in respect of the ease images and perceptions this is due to the fact that in sleep it is deprived of that criterion which alone can distinguish between sensory perceptions emanating from within and those coming from without it is unable to subject its images to those tests which alone can prove their objective reality further it neglects to differentiate between those images which can be exchanged at will and those in respect of which there is no free choice it does because it cannot apply the law of casuality to the content of its dreams in brief its alienation from the outer world is the very reason for its belief in the subjective dream world delbeuf arrives at the same conclusion through a somewhat different line of argument we believe in the reality of dream pictures because in sleep we have no other impressions with which to compare them because we are cut off from the outer world but it is not because we are unable when asleep to test our hallucinations that we believe in their reality dreams can make us believe that we are applying such tests that we are touching say the rose that we see in our dream and yet we are dreaming according to delba there is no valid criterion that can show whether something is a dream or a waking reality except and that only pragmatically the fact of waking i conclude that all that has been experienced between falling asleep and waking is a delusion if i find on waking that i am lying undressed in bed i considered the images of my dream real while i was asleep 
on the account of unsleeping mental habit of assuming an outer world with which i can contrast my ego hafner like delba has attempted to explain the act of dreaming by the alteration which an abnormally introduced condition must have upon the otherwise correct functioning of the intact psychic apparatus but he describes this condition in a somewhat different terms he states that the first distinguishing mark of dreams is the abolition of time and space that is the emancipation of the representation from the individual's position in the spatial and temporal order associated with this is the second fundamental character of dreams the mistaking of the hallucinations imaginations and fantasy combinations for objective perceptions the sum total of the higher psychic functions particularly the formation of concepts judgments and conclusions on the one hand and the free self determination on the other hand combined with the sensory fantasy images and at all times have these as substratum these activities too therefore participate in the erratic nature of the dream representations we say they participate for our faculties of judgment and will are in themselves unaltered during sleep as far as their activity is concerned we are just as shrewd and just as free as in the waking state a man cannot violate the laws of thought that is even in a dream he cannot judge things to be identical which present themselves to him as opposites he can desire in a dream only that which he regards as good sabrashone boni but in this application of the laws of thought and will the human intellect is led astray in dreams by confusing one notion with another thus it happens that in dreams we formulate and commit the greatest of contradictions while on the other hand we display the shrewdest judgment and arrive at the most logical conclusions and are able to make the most virtuous and sacred resolutions the lack of orientation is the whole secret of our flights of fantasy in dreams and the lack of critical reflection and agreement with other minds is the main source of the reckless extravagances of our judgments hopes and wishes in dreams if the turning away from the outer world is accepted as the decisive cause of the most conspicuous characteristics of our dreams it will be worth our while to consider certain subtle observations of burdach's which will throw some light on the relation of the sleeping psyche to the outer world and at the same time serve to prevent the overestimating the importance of the above deductions sleep says burdach results only under the condition that the mind is not excited by sensory stimuli yet it is not so much a lack of sensory stimuli that conditions sleep as a lack of interest in them some sensory impressions are even necessary in so far as they serve to calm the mind thus the miller can fall asleep only when he hears the clatter of his mill and he who finds it necessary as a matter of precaution to burn a light at night cannot fall asleep in the dark during sleep the psyche isolates itself from the outer world and withdraws from the periphery nevertheless the connection is not entirely broken 
if one did not hear and feel during sleep but only after waking one would assuredly never be awakened at all the continuance of sensation is even more plainly shown by the fact that we are not always awakened by the mere force of the sensory impression but by its relation to the psyche an indifferent word does not arouse the sleeper but if called by name he wakes so that even in sleep the psyche discriminates between sensations hence one may even be awakened by the obliteration of a sensory stimulus if this is related to anything of the imagined importance thus one man wakes when the night light is extinguished and the miller when his mill comes to a standstill that is waking is due to the cessation of a sensory activity and this presupposes that the activity has been perceived but has not disturbed the mind its effect being indifferent or actually reassuring even if we are willing to disregard these by no means trifling objections we must yet admit that the qualities of the dream life hitherto considered which are attributed to withdrawal from the outer world cannot fully account for the strangeness of dreams for otherwise it would be possible to reconvert the hallucinations of the dream into mental images and the situations of the dreams into thoughts and thus to achieve the task of dream interpretation now this is precisely what we do when we reproduce a dream from memory after waking and no matter whether we are fully or only partially successful in this retranslation the dream still remains as mysterious as before furthermore all writers unhesitatingly assume that still other and profounder changes take place in the plastic material of waking life strumpel seeks to isolate one of these changes as follows with the cessation of active sensory perception and of normal consciousness the psyche is deprived of the soil in which its feelings desires interests and activities are rooted those psychic states feelings interests and valuations which in the waking state adhered to the memory images succumb to an obscuring pressure in consequence of which their connection with these images is severed the perceptual images of things persons localities events and actions of the waking state are individually abundantly reproduced but none of these brings with it its psychic value deprived of this they hover in the mind dependent on their own resources the annihilation of psychic values which is in turn referred to a turning away from the outer world is according to strumpel very largely responsible for the impression of strangeness with which the dream is colored in our memory we have seen that the very fact of falling asleep involves a renunciation of one of the psychic activities namely the voluntary guidance of the flow of ideas thus the supposition obtrudes itself though it is in any case a natural one that the state of sleep may extend even to the psychic functions one or another of these functions is perhaps entirely suspended we have now to consider whether the rest continue operate undisturbed whether they are able to perform their normal work under the circumstances the idea occurs to us that the peculiarities of the dream 
may be explained by the restricted activity of the psyche during sleep and the impression made by the dream upon our waking judgment tends to confirm this view the dream is incoherent it reconciles without hesitation the worst contradictions it admits impossibilities it disregards the authoritative knowledge of the waking state and it shows us as ethically and morally obtuse he who should behave in the waking state as his dream represents him as behaving would be considered insane he who in the waking state should speak as he does in his dream or relate such things as occur in his dreams would impress us as a feeble-minded or muddle-headed person it seems to us then that we are merely speaking in accordance with the facts of the case when we rate psychic activity in dreams very low and especially when we assert that in dreams the higher intellectual activities are suspended or at least greatly impaired with unusual unanimity the exceptions will be dealt with elsewhere the writers on the subject have pronounced such judgments as led immediately to a definitive theory and explanation of dream life it is now time to supplement the resume which i have just given by a series of quotations from a number of authors philosophers and physicians bearing upon the psychological characteristics of the dream according to lemoine the incoherence of the dream images is the sole essential characteristic of the dream mori agrees with him ilnia padirave absolumorisenabel ekina kantina kelka incoherence kelka absurdite there are no dreams which are absolutely reasonable which do not contain some incoherence some absurdity according to hegel quoted by spitta the dream lacks any intelligible objective coherence dugas says le rêve c'est la anarchie physique affective et mentale c'est le jeu des fonctions livrées et elles-mêmes et exerçant sans contrôle et sans but dans le rêve l'esprit est en automate spirituel the dream is psychic anarchy emotional and intellectual the playing of functions freed of themselves and performing without control and without end in the dream the mind is a spiritual automaton the relaxation dissolution and promiscuous confusion of the world of ideas and images held together in waking life by the logical power of the central ego is conceded even by folke according to whose theory the psychic activity during sleep appears to be by no means aimless the absurdity of the associations of ideas which occur in dreams can hardly be more strongly stigmatized than it was by chikero nihil tam prepostre tam incondite tam monstruas cogitari potast quat non possimus sominare there is no imaginable thing too absurd too involved or too abnormal for us to dream about fechner says it is as though the psychological activity of the brain of a reasonable person were to migrate into that of a fool radstock it seems indeed impossible to recognize any stable laws in this preposterous behavior withdrawing itself from its strict policing of the rational will that guides our waking ideas and form the process of attention the dream in crazy sport whirls all things about in a kaleidoscopic confusion 
Hildebrand. What wonderful jumps the dreamer permits himself, for instance, in his chain of reasoning, with what unconcern he sees the most familiar laws of experience turned upside down, what ridiculous contradictions he is able to tolerate in the order of nature and of society, before things go too far, and the very excess of nonsense leads to an awakening. Sometimes we quite innocently calculate that three times three makes twenty, and we are not in the least surprised if a dog recites poetry to us, if a dead person walks to his grave, or if a rock floats on the water. We solemnly go to visit the duchy of Bernberg or the principality of Liechtenstein in order to inspect its navy, or we allow ourselves to be recruited as a volunteer by Charles Twelfth just before the Battle of Poltova. Binz, referring to the theory of dreams resulting from these impressions, says, Of ten dreams, nine at least have an absurd content. We unite in them persons or things which do not appear slightest relation to one another. In the next moment, as in a kaleidoscope, the grouping changes to one, if possible, even more nonsensical and irrational than before. And so, the shifting play of the drowsy brain continues until we wake, put a hand to our forehead, and ask ourselves whether we still really possess the faculty of rational imagination and thought. Mori Le Sommet makes in respect of the relation of the dream image to the waking thoughts a comparison which a physician will find especially impressive. La production de ces images que chez le homme éveillé fait le plus souvent être le volant correspond pour la intelligence et ce que sont pour la mortalité certains moments qui nous offrent le courrier et les affections paralytiques the production of those images which in the waking man most often excite the will correspond for the mind to those which are for the motility certain movements that offer some virtuous dance and paralytic affections for the rest he considers the dream tout une série de dégradations de la faculté pensante et raisonnante a whole series of degradations of the faculty of thinking and reasoning it's hardly necessary to cite the utterances of those authors who repeat Mori's assertions in respect of the higher individual psychic activities according to strumpel in dreams and even of course where the nonsensical nature of the dream is not obvious all the logical operations of the mind based on relations and associations recede into the background according to spitta ideas in dreams are entirely withdrawn from the laws of casuality while radstock and others emphasize the feebleness of judgment and logical inference peculiar to dreams according to jiddel there is no criticism in dreams no correcting of a series of perceptions by the content of consciousness as a whole the same author states that all the activities of consciousness occur in dreams but they are imperfect inhabited and mutually isolated the contradictions of our conscious knowledge which occur in dreams are explained by stricker and many others on the ground that facts are forgotten in dreams or that the logical relations between ideas are lost etc etc
those authors who in general judge so unfavorably of the psychic activities of dreamer nevertheless agree that dreams do retain a certain remnant of psychic activity wundt whose teachings has influenced so many other investigators of dream problems expressly admits this we may ask what are the nature and composition of the remnants of normal psychic life which manifest themselves in dreams it is pretty generally acknowledged that the reproductive faculty the memory seems to be the least affected in dreams it may indeed show a certain superiority over the same function in waking life even though some of the absurdities of dreams are to be explained by the forgetfulness of dream life according to spitta it is the sentimental life of the psyche which is not affected by sleep and which thus directs our dreams by sentiment gemut he means the constant sum of the emotions as the inmost subjective essence of man shawls sees in dreams a psychic activity which manifests itself in the allegorizing interpretation to which the dream material is subjected seebeck likewise perceives in dreams a supplementary interpretative activity of the psyche which applies itself to all that is observed and perceived any judgment of the part played in dreams by what is presumed to be the highest psychical function that is consciousness presents a peculiar difficulty since it is only through consciousness that we can know anything of dreams there can be no doubt as to its being retained spitta however believes that only consciousness is retained in the dream but not self consciousness delbeuf confesses that he is unable to comprehend this distinction the laws of association which connect our mental images hold good also for what is represented in dreams indeed in dreams the dominance of these laws is more obvious and complete than in waking state strumpel says dreams would appear to proceed either exclusively in accordance with the laws of pure representation or in accordance with the laws of organic stimuli accompanied by such representations that is without being influenced by reflection reason aesthetic taste or moral judgment the authors whose opinions i here reproduce conceive the formation of the dream somewhat as follows the sum of sensory stimuli of varying origin discussed elsewhere that are operative in sleep at first awaken in the psyche a number of images which present themselves as hallucinations according to wundt it is more correct to say as illusions because of their origin in external and internal stimuli these combine with one another in accordance with the known laws of association and in accordance with the same laws they in turn evoke a new series of representations images the whole of this material is then elaborated as far as possible by the still active remnant of the thinking and organizing faculties of the psyche thus far however no one has been successful in discerning the motive which would decide what particular law of association is to be obeyed by those images which do not originate in external stimuli 
but it has been repeatedly observed that the associations which connect the dream images with one another are of particular kind differing from those found in the activities of the waking mind thus folke in dreams the ideas chase and seize upon one another on the strength of accidental similarities and barely perceptible connections all dreams are pervaded by casual and unconstrained associations of this kind mori attaches great value to this characteristic of the connection of ideas for it allows them to draw a closer analogy between the dream life and certain mental derangements he recognizes two main characteristics of the deliria one un action spontané et comme automatique de l'esprit an action of the mind spontaneous and as though automatic two un association vicieuse et irrégulière des idées a defective and irregular association of ideas mori gives two excellent examples from his own dreams in which the mere similarity of sound decides the connection between the dream representations once he dreamed that he was in a pilgrimage pelerinage to jerusalem or to mecca after many adventures he found himself in the company of the chemist pelletier the latter after some conversation gave him a galvanized shovel pelle which became a great broad sword in the next portion of the dream in another dream he is walking along a highway where he reads the distances on the kilometer stones presently he found himself at a grocer's who had a large pair of scales a man put kilogram weights into the scales in order to weigh mori the grocer then said to him you are not in paris but on the island kilolo this was followed by a number of pictures in which he saw the flower lobelia and then general lopez of whose death he had read a little while previously finally he awoke as he was playing a game of loto we are indeed quite well aware that this low estimate of the psychic activities of the dream has not been allowed to pass without contradiction from various quarters yet here contradiction would seem rather difficult it is not a matter of much significance that one of the depreciators of dream life spitta should assure us that the same psychological laws which govern the waking state rule the dream also or that another dugas should state the rave ne pa de raison ni mem irraison pure the dream is neither pure derangement nor pure irrationality so long as neither of them has attempted to bring this opinion into harmony with the psychic anarchy and the dissolution of all mental functions in the dream which they themselves have described however the possibility seems to have dawned upon others that the madness of the dream is perhaps not without its method that it is perhaps only a disguise a dramatic pretense like that of hamlet to whose madness the perspicuous judgment refers these authors must either have refrained from judging by appearances or appearances were in their case altogether different without lingering over its superficial absurdity 
Havelock Hillis considers the dream as an anarchic world of vast emotions and imperfect thoughts, the study of which may acquaint us with the primitive stages of the development of mental life. J. Sully presents the same conception of the dream in a still more comprehensive and penetrating fashion. His statements deserve all the more consideration when it is added that he, perhaps more than any other psychologist, was convinced of the veiled significance of the dream. Now our dreams are a means of conserving these successive personalities. When asleep, we go back to the old ways of looking at things and of feeling about them, to impulses and activities which long ago dominated us. A thinker like Dilbuff asserts without indeed adducing proof in the face of the contradictory data, and hence without real justification. Tous les facultés de l'esprit, intelligence, imagination, mémoire, volant, moralité, restent intactes dans leur essence. Seulement, elles s'appliquent à des objets imaginaires et mobiles. Le sanguin est un acteur qui joue à volant, le fou et le sages, le bourreau et la victime, le néant et le géant, le démon et les anges. In sleep, excepting perception, all the faculties of the mind intellect imagination memory will morality remain intact in their essence only they are applied to imaginary and variable objects the dreamer is an actor who plays at will the mad and the wise executioner and victim dwarf and giant devil and angel the marquis hervey who is flatly contradicted by mori and whose essay I have been unable to obtain despite all my efforts, appears empathetically to protest against the underestimation of the psychic capacity in the dream. Mori speaks of him as follows. Monsieur le Marquis Hervé, prêt à la intelligence durant le sommeil toute sa liberté de action et de attention, et il ne semble faire consister le sommeil que dans la occultion de sens, dans leur fermeture au monde exterieur. En sorte que la homme qui dort ne se distingue gure, selon la manière de voir, de la homme qui les éveilleur sa pensée, en sa bouchon la sens. Toutes les différences qui s'apparaient alors la pensée ordinaire de celle de dormir ce que, chez celui-ci, l'idée prend une forme visible, objective et ressemble à si même prendre à la sensation déterminée par l'objet extérieur. Le souvenir revêt l'appearance du fait présent. The Marquis Hervé attributes to the intelligence during sleep all its freedom of action and attention, and he seems to make sleep consist only of the shutting of the senses, of their closing to the outside world. Except for his manner of seeing, the man asleep is hardly distinguishable from the man who allows his mind to wander while he obstructs his senses. The whole difference then between ordinary thought and that of the sleeper is that with the latter the idea takes an objective and visible shape which resembles to all appearances sensations determined by exterior objects memory takes on the appearance of present fact mori adds however qu'il y a une différence de plus capitale à savoir que la faculté intellectuelle de la home endormie 
nor from parle equilibrie que el cigaron chela homeveye that there is a further and important difference in that the mental faculties of the sleeping man do not offer the equilibrium which they keep in the waking state in Bachelt, who gives us fully information as to hervey's book we find that this author expresses himself as follows in respect to the apparent incoherence of dreams la image du rêve et la copie de la idée le principal est lady la vision n'est pas qu'accessoire ceci établi il faut savoir souvenir la marche des idées il faut savoir analyser le tissu des rêves la incoherence devient alors comprehensible la conception le plus fantastique devient des faits simples et parfaitement logiques the image in a dream is a copy of an idea the main thing is the idea the vision is only accessory this established it is necessary to know how to follow the progression of ideas how to analyze the texture of the dreams incoherence then is understandable the most fantastic concepts become simple and perfectly logical facts le rêve le plus bizarre trouvant même une explication de plus logique quand on se les analyse even the most bizarre dreams find a most logical explanation when one knows how to analyze them j starke has drawn attention to the fact that a similar solution of the incoherence of dreams was put forward in 1799 by an old writer wolf davidson who was unknown to me the peculiar leaps of our imaginings in the dream state all have their cause in the laws of association but this connection often occurs very obscurely in the soul so that we frequently seem to observe a leap of imagination where none really exists the evaluation of the dream as a psychic product in the literature of the subject varies over a very wide scale it extends from the extreme of underestimation as we have already seen through premonitions that it may have a value as it unrevealed to an exaggerated overestimation which sets the dream life far above the capacities of waking life in a psychological characterization of dream life hildebrand as we know groups into three antinomies and he combines in the third of these antinomies the two extreme points of this scale of values in the contrast between on the one hand an enhancement an increase of potentiality which often amounts to virtuosity and on the other hand a decided diminution and enfeeblement of the psychic life often to a subhuman level as regards the first who is there that cannot confirm from his own experience the fact that in the workings and weavings of the genius of dreams there are sometimes exhibited a profundity and sincerity of emotion a tenderness of feeling a clearness of view a subtlety of observation and a readiness of wit such as we should have modestly to deny that we always possessed in our waking life dreams have a wonderful poetry an apposite allegory an incomparable sense of humor a delightful irony they see the world in a light of peculiar idealization and often 
intensify the effect of their phenomena by the most ingenious understanding of the reality underlying them they show us as earthly beauty in a truly heavenly radiance the sublime in its most supremest majesty and that which we know to be terrible in its most frightful form but the ridiculous being indescribably and drastically comical and on waking we are sometimes still so full of one of these impressions that it will occur to us that such things have never yet been offered to us by the real world one might here ask oneself do these depreciatory remarks and these enthusiastic praises really refer to the same phenomena have some writers overlooked the foolish and the others the profound and sensitive dreams and if both kinds of dreams do occur that is dreams that merit both these judgments does it not seem idle to seek a psychological characterization of the dream would it not suffice to state that everything is possible in dream from the lowest degradation of the psychic life to its flight to heights unknown in the waking state convenient as such a solution might be it has this against it that behind the efforts of all the investigators of dreams there seems to lurk the assumption that there is in dream some characteristic which is universally valid in its essential features and which must eliminate all these contradictions it is unquestionably true that the mental capacities of dreams found readier and warmer recognition in the intellectual period now lying behind us when philosophy rather than exact natural science ruled the most intelligent minds statements like that of schubert to the effect the dream frees the mind from the power of external nature that it liberates the soul from the chains of sensory life together with the similar opinions expressed by the enger fichte and others who represent dreams as a soaring of the mind to a higher plane all these seem hardly conceivable to us today they are repeated at present only by mystics and devotees with the advance of a scientific mode of thought a reaction took place in the estimation of dreams it is the medical writers who are most inclined to underrate the psychic activity in dreams as being insignificant and valueless while philosophers and unprofessional observers amateur psychologists whose contributions to the subject in especial must not be overlooked have for the most part in the agreement with the popular belief laid emphasis on the psychological value of dreams those who are inclined to underrate the psychic activity of dreams naturally show a preference for the somatic sources of excitation in the etiology of the dream those who admit the dreaming mind may retain greater part of its waking faculties naturally have no motive for denying the existence of autonomous stimulations among the superior accomplishments which one may be tempted even on a sober comparison to ascribe to the dream life that of the memory is the most impressive we have fully discussed the by no means rare experiences which prove this superiority another privilege of the dream life often extolled by the older writers namely the fact that it can overstep the limitations of time and space is easily recognized as an illusion this privilege hasildebron remarks is merely illusory 
dreams disregard time and space only as this waking thought and only because dreaming is itself a form of thinking dreams are supposed to enjoy a further advantage in respect of time to be independent of the passage of time in yet another sense dreams like mori's dream of his execution seem to show that the perceptual content which the dream can compress into a very short space of time far exceeds that which can be mastered by our psychic activity in its waking thoughts these conclusions have however been disputed the essays of le laurent and eger on the apparent duration of dreams give rise to a long interesting discussion which in all probability has not yet found the final explanation of this profound and delicate problem the dreams are able to continue the intellectual activities of the day and to carry them to a point which could not be arrived at during the day that they may resolve doubts and problems and that they may be the source of fresh inspiration in poets and composers seems in the light of numerous records and that of the collection of instances compiled by chabanics to be proved beyond question but even though the facts may be beyond dispute their interpretation is a subject to many doubts on wider grounds finally the alleged divinatory power of the dream has become a subject of contention in which almost insuperable objections are confronted by obstinate and reiterated assertions it is of course right that we should refrain from denying that this view has any basis whatever in fact since it is quite possible that a number of such cases may before long be explained on purely natural psychological grounds end of section 6 recording by lambda